All right, is that close enough? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. All right, just do this thing. Well, welcome to Preacher Lab for preachers just like you and I. It is the week of November 28th, 2021, and we have my good friend here, Mr. Robert Bledsoe. Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for joining joining me today, Rob, and talking about uh, what you're preaching on. And uh, we're just going to jump right in, all right? Perfect. So uh, for this week, it's Thanksgiving, I know, um, but what are you preaching on? Where are you headed? Where are you going this week? Yeah, so I am actually, well, Sunday is actually Advent 1. So uh, I was a little ahead of the curve, did my uh, Attitude of Gratitude sermon this past Sunday. Um, you know, for those who might not know me that are joining us, I started a new appointment uh, July 1st uh, down at Trinity United Methodist Church in Bradenton, which is Southwest Florida. And so this first year, um, I've really been doing a lot of get to know one another type sermon series, you know, talking about myself and sharing parts of my story as I try to learn about this church that's been around for a while now and has a big impact on its community and folks who know this church. Um, So I've been doing a lot of what I would call your stereotypical sermons, right? (laughs) I've been hitting the 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 what you would expect to hear sermons throughout the year. So I would not say I've been terribly creative uh, outside of the box type new sermons that people have never heard before, but really honing in as a preacher. Um, I came from a church where I was an associate pastor for several years in Fort Myers and you know, I got to preach every four to six weeks. So this podcast has been just as fruitful for me to listen to. And I don't really feel like I'm worthy to be on it as a new uh, weekly preacher. Uh, but that's just a little bit about where I'm coming from and my viewpoint on preaching every week. But to answer the question you asked, um, I'm actually uh, starting a new series this week, borrowing from Adam Hamilton. Uh, it's called The Journey. Uh, it came out about 10 years ago or so, and it's uh, one of my favorites. I did it uh, at the church I served previously, and folks just really loved learning about each of the characters. So that's what I'll do each week leading up to Christmas Eve. So this week, for example, um, is really setting the stage, talking about Nazareth and also talking about Mary and her story and how she became perhaps the most influential character uh, in scripture, some might say. Our Catholic friends would definitely agree with me on that. Um, So that's where I'm starting this week. New sermon series called The Journey. uh, And this first week is about Mary and her story and what all her significance in the the Christmas story. So are you you focusing on one particular text or are you focusing on just the character herself? Are you... Uh, One text. uh, It's a both, both and. Um, So the passage is the Luke, Gospel of Luke's my favorite. Um, for a long time, Matthew is my favorite. And then uh, a friend and colleague of ours, the Reverend Tim Wright, uh, the chaplain at Florida Southern said, man, you got to get past Matthew and Mark. Don't give up. Read Luke. You'll love it the most. And ever since then, I have. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's Luke chapter one, verse 26 through 38. And it's when the angel Gabriel uh, appears to Mary at the well and kind of changes her world and changes our world because of that announcement and what all that he tells her. And then, you know, he ends that passage, the last few verses talk about, and you're, you know, Elizabeth is six months pregnant as well. You should go see her and see what's going on. 
Um, so the first part of the sermon is um, spending a lot of time on Nazareth. You know, we hear Nazareth and we think, oh, I know Nazareth. Of course, everybody in the world knows Nazareth. But in that day, it was not. You know, think about some of the towns in central Florida. You and I growing up in Florida, we don't even know half the towns in Florida because they're so small. And that's what Nazareth would have been like for the people in Jesus's time. And so spending a lot of time on that and then talking about that spring where Gabriel appears to um, Mary and talking about the living water and how Christ would talk to the disciples and his followers later about that and some of the foreshadowing. Uh, so spending a lot of time on Nazareth, because I feel like I'm setting the stage for the rest of the series, talking about the details that we overlook. You know, I start the sermon with kind of an anecdotal, like every year we celebrate with Christmas trees because there were tons of those in Bethlehem. And thank God we string up lights because electricity was so prevalent when Jesus was around. So I'm glad we honor it. So poking fun at American you know, Christmas traditions, and then kind of doing that, you know, giggle, giggle, and then kind of stick the knife in, you know, mm-hmm. and really prod people and have them check their heart. Like, oh, right. We have really told ourselves a different story. And so that's where I get into the, I want to spend us these next four weeks looking at the details that Walmart and Target won't tell you, you know, um, and go from there. Yeah. So when you, I mean, this is a, this is a big shift for you, changing from an associate pastor role to a senior pastor role. How has that kind of been a, a shift for you in, in preaching? Yeah, it has been. Uh, <laughs> just from the, I used to be able to have weeks to prepare each sermon. Uh, and I definitely suffered for many, many years of my preaching. I'm still figuring it out. Like the hey, you don't have to tell them everything you know every single week, right? Like You can't pack 25 years of being a Christian and three years of seminary into every sermon. Like, get over it, you know? Um, So I think I've learned to just... I don't want to say go with the flow yet. I'm not there. I still get so worried about it each week. I truthfully do. I still don't sleep well on Saturday nights. Um, I just get nervous. I feel so much pressure because I think this is the most important part of our jobs as pastors. And I know that might be a hot take for some, but I truly believe preaching is the most vital aspect of our work every single week. I know you like this podcast, so you probably agree. it it (laughs) It is called Preacher Lab. Not yeah. <laughs> leadership lab or personal growth lab or theology yeah. lab. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I just don't want to mess it up. And there's so much great stuff. And we only get 52 Sundays a year, 20 minutes a Sunday, and plus a few random ones that a quarter of your congregation will come to each of them. And I just really want to convince them, persuade them, transform them as I have been transformed by these texts over the years. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to figure out is how do I do that in a way that I don't know, it's true to me, that I don't try to be someone else's voice that I've heard that was uh, important to me. And then just realizing that other things pop up during the week and every single week might not be a 10 out of a 10. And that's a hard pill to swallow because when I was an associate, I had time to make sure it was at least an eight every time, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of what, I don't know if that is the best answer, but that's what came to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you're even just purpose of preaching is you've learned something, you've seen something, you've been, you've been taught something, you're, you, you're noticing the way God is working in your life and all you want to do is share it. 
Um, you want to share that experience and you want to honor the way in which we get to share it because we only get 52 Sundays a year and people are getting out of their bed and driving here or getting out of their bed to watch online and you want to honor that person's time. But you also know how powerful it has been for your own life of saying, okay, this has happened to me. Uh, this story of Mary or learning, looking at Nazareth this way or looking at Galilee, this has changed the way I see the Christmas story. And you're just sharing something that you've learned yourself. Yeah, it, it's 100% what it is. I mean, I feel like I've been so blessed to have incredible teachers and professors and mentors and pastors literally my entire life. They've taught me so many cool things. I just have stacks and stacks of papers and old sermons that I've been like, hey, can you email that to me or can I get a copy of that? And I, I do. I want to share those things because it's opened my eyes to who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God looks like far more than a book would have ever done or a TV show or a documentary. It's the the preaching aspect of it and the persuasiveness of the person presenting makes all the difference to me. Um, and so I want to I want to do that. And I'm huh. still learning but I feel like I'm getting better at it every time I, I do it. <laughs> we're all, we're all learning. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a harder, a hard, harder question. You talked yeah. about the fear of preaching and what, what, tell me more about the fear. Yeah. So the fear is, I think maybe twofold, the fear of will my congregation like what I have to say? Will my congregation respect what I have to say? And then the fear that I might get something wrong because I'm not as well researched or didn't spend as much time doing it. And I'm always, I always have, you know, um, uh, Charlie Reeb, Reverend Dr. Charlie Reeb, who's up in Georgia now, um, in the back of my head, that article he wrote a few years ago, I think it was like 2017 for Ministry Matters, where he said, like, Pew reports 78 to 80% of people. Um, decide if they're going to come back to a church or join a church because of the preaching. So it doesn't matter how great my music is, how beautiful my grounds are, how impressive my social media is. It's 80% of people coming or going or staying at the end of the day, if you're better or for worse, whether it's fair or not fair is up to me in my context. Right. And that, I think I put a ton of pressure on myself because I certainly don't want to be the reason a church closes. I don't want to be a reason the church grows stagnant because I'm just mailing in a bad sermon because I had a busy week or something happened, whatever. And I think the quickest growing churches, and that's another conversation for another time, but they all have really good orators and preachers and communicators. And I know that those are some of my spiritual gifts as well. So I don't want to squander them. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to, you want to honor the gift that God has given you uh, and do it well. Um, and, and I, you know, I just appreciate your, your honesty and your vulnerability of sharing, Hey, um, what if, uh, what if the congregation doesn't hear this right? Or they misinterpret what I'm saying, or, or what if this one's not a 10? What if this one's a four? Um, but I think it's a 10 or what if the one that I think is a four is actually a 10. <laughs> oh, it's exhausting when that uh-huh. happens. I mean, yeah. I'm sure everybody listening to this has done that where you get up there and you just like a sermon. And then they're like, people just come in flocks afterwards. Like that was the most inspiring thing I've ever said. I'm like, I don't even know what I said, you know? And then the yeah. one you actually put three weeks worth of prep in that you're excited to preach, you know, there's 30% of your congregation is there that day. You nail it, but nobody heard it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I can think of vivid memories of each of those experiences happening to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me, Rob, um, when you work on the sermon, so you're, you're working on the sermon series of uh, the journey, what, what brought you to this particular one? Um, and how did you kind of process what, which one goes where and how do you, I guess, just talk me through some of that process for you. Sure. Practical pieces. Yeah. So I'll do the, the long, the long story short of, I had a great mentor, uh, at my first appointment, uh, Reverend Tom Schaefer, and he was someone who would go away for sermon planning retreats and come back with half a year planned at a time. And then tentatively a whole year. So we could all as a worship planning team, which included our communications director, our traditional and contemporary folks, usually some family ministry person, um, could really begin to brainstorm and creatively think like, all right, this is what we're talking about. These are the other aspects of worship we could do to enhance the theme of the day. And so when I came here, I wanted to make that same commitment to my new staff of long-range planning. And so since this was the first sermon series I did at my first appointment at Advent, and it's been a few years since I had done it, I wanted to do it again. And this one is kind of a it's a book and it comes with a leader guide and a DVD and a daily devotional thing for folks who haven't seen it. And I haven't had the opportunity to teach a Bible study or a class at my new appointment yet with all the other priorities I had right out of the gate. So this will be the first time I get to teach a class that connects with the sermon and it's kind of already prepackaged for me. Um, so that's how I landed on this one. Plus the sense of familiarity, you know, didn't want to try to bite off more that I could chew my first advent as I'm still learning all the new traditions of this congregation. And I felt like I knew this one pretty well already. Yeah. And, and I know there, I know there are moments in which, which we, we take something like a book or a series or something and then kind of adapt it. What are the, what are the ways in which you've taken kind of what Adam Hamilton has written and added your own spin to it or kind of taken it out of the package, reworked it and then put it into a new package? So in the spirit of full honesty, as yeah. I know you'd like, I would say I have not done as much of that as some might otherwise do. Um, I look at Adam Hamilton as a spiritual mentor of mine. Um, he and I are very like-minded theologically. Um, we're both teachers at heart, more so than grand orators and communicators. And I think we use our teaching and our preaching. We're both academic folks. I feel like I could speak like, <laughs> it makes it sound like me and him are good friends. We're not. Like I've just been <laughs> to his church and um, been to his conferences, read his books. And, you know, I listen to their church's podcast pretty much once a week. He's like a real spiritual mentor for me. So there's a lot of his work that I don't feel like I need to rewrite or redo because it's like what I sound like anyway, or at least I try to sound like, um, but I do take his ideas from the book and obviously I can't preach a whole chapter of his book in one sermon, um, but I pick the pieces that I think flow together to say the things that I think my congregation needs to hear the most that maybe they haven't heard in a while or maybe ever before. Um, but I try to add in a little more humor than he does. Humor and approachability and feeling like the congregation can trust me is important to me. So I think that's where I really kind of make it my own. Yeah. So that introduction of, hey, uh, nobody knew about Nazareth or I had electric Christmas trees. Right. Yeah. 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 I, um, when I was 
going through the ordination process, I got the same feedback of like, hey, only preach one sermon each time you get up, not three, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, Wes Olds uh, is a pastor at Grace Church out in Cape Coral at the main campus there. Been there for a while. And he offered to me, he's like, always start. Uh, He said when he was a youth pastor in Kentucky, he had four uh, different things he was taught. Hook, book, took, and look. And so what's your hook at the beginning to pull people in? What is the part of the book, the Bible you're going to share? Um, what are you going to have them look at? Like, hey, look at this. This is the point of the sermon. And then took. What are you trying to get them to take with them as they go this week? And so at the front page of every sermon I write, I have those four words and I fill them in. Wow. Um, that way I try to start every sermon, you know, because people decide within the first three minutes that they're going to listen to you or not. So if you get up there and just lob in, today's from First Samuel chapter 7, like, you know, most people are checked out before you get to your first point. So I try to start with a story, a joke, humor, even if it sometimes I I try not to do this, but every once in a while you do one that has nothing to do with what you're going to talk about, but people are still getting to know me at my appointment. They want to know I'm relatable and trustworthy and that I'm worth listening to. I need to earn the respect of being heard before I can just start pontificating on my great exegesis, you know? Yeah. Hook, book, look, and took. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I hope he doesn't listen to this. He told me I was never allowed to tell anybody. He heard that. I heard that from him. So. <laughs> uh, Wes, if you hear this, uh, Rob Bledsoe apologizes. <laughs> but it's for the betterment of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. And preachers. Made a big difference for me. Yeah, I put those four words on the front of every sermon. And then um, head, heart, hands is what Adam Hamilton says. So what are you, how are you getting to the head? How are you getting to the heart? And how are you utilizing mm-hmm. their hands in service each week? And he said, good sermons do two out of the three. Bad sermons do one or none. And the great sermons do all three. And so I try to do all three as much as I can. That's just my outline, you know, yeah. to get me going. Those are my goal posts. I try to stay within. Does that, so walk me through the week. Does that happen on Monday? You write those in your word document and you're like, okay, this is what I need to focus on. Yep. Um, so I, yes, Monday morning is my first whack at a sermon. I, I'm not one of those people who can wait till Wednesday or Thursday to start. I need to get up first thing and at least get a few hundred words on paper. Um, And that's where I try to start with my outline. And then I fill in the blanks to make it tell the whole story. Is this this handwriting or is this typing? This is all typing. I'm not a handwritten guy at all. Not a journaler, none of that for me. Yeah, yeah, all typed. And I let it sit for 24 hours after that. And then I finish it by noon at Wednesday. Um, my worship planning team meets on Monday afternoons after our staff meeting. So I like to have at least a draft to them by noon on Monday so they can all read it before worship planning. That way they can make um, appropriate song selections and call to worship. So if there's a different affirmation of faith, what unique something new could we do today that you've seen done before? I just like to have the, them have a copy of where I, I think I'm going. And then I finish by noon Um, And then very rarely, I mean, maybe one out of every 12 sermons, I will tweak before the weekend again. I like to just let it marinate because I like to memorize my sermons. Um, So I need a few days of just chewing on it from like Wednesday to Sunday. So so you you send your first draft to your team. Um, uh-huh. And then they, they do they give you feedback as well as like, hey, no, this isn't uh, this isn't work, or is it is it too new that they don't feel comfortable yet, or is it it's the 
it's definitely more of that they don't feel comfortable yet doing no. that. But I have already identified three people in my congregation and asked them starting January 1 to come sit with me every Wednesday afternoon and let me preach to them. And oh, wow. so I did create a team of men and women of different ages in my congregation who are wanting to come and listen to the sermon and then just give me that brutally honest, like, hey, that story did not land or you transitioned from here to here. And I didn't understand that because I think that's what I really need. Yeah, yeah. And and then they can give you feedback of, well, that part, that front part was really good, but we maybe we, that should be the ending story. And maybe your ending story should be in the center and and then they can give you feedback. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a comedian trying out bits for the first time. And mm-hmm. like you do it every single week. On a, Wednesday, yes. on a Wednesday. That's a plan, at least on a Wednesday. And I'm hoping, yeah, I've got three people that are real excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> and full disclosure, they're all like, we don't know what we could tell you. We think you're the greatest preacher we've had in a long time. You know, so yeah. hopefully I can give them some resources and some guidance on what I'm, I'm looking for. I got to yeah. just figure out a loving way to say like, I'm not the greatest preacher you've ever heard. Like you have to help me become that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so currently the way in which it's set up, You've got the first draft on Monday. Um, you send that to the staff on Monday. Then they can plan out affirmation of faith, all the music, all the things that surround the whole service. And then Wednesday, you go back to it and kind of have it finalized. You tweak it, you work on it, those type of things. Mm-hmm. And that's, I always practice my sermon at least once, ideally twice in the space out loud where I'm going to preach it. Okay. So is that is that on Wednesday? Is that on Thursday? Do you do that's that? on Wednesday. Okay. So um, yeah, Thursday, if I'm, if something pops up on Wednesday, I'll do it on Thursday, but then, and I go, we have a traditional sanctuary and then a modern worship space on campus. And so I go to every other one, every other week, just to get comfortable preaching the message in that space. Okay. And is this, is it a full manuscript you bring with you? Is it a bullet point? Is it a, I don't know, do you have a slides or? I am a, I'm a manuscript preacher, not an outline guy. I, I write an outline, you know, my hook book, look, took, head, heart, hands. And then I do a full outline on the, it's like a cover page of my sermon. Like I was handing you my sermon, but that it is a full manuscript. It is not grammatically um, correct. It is not like structured beautifully. I write it like I speak it. So I'll write the first two sentences, enter, enter, write three sentences, enter, enter. And those are kind of my breathing breaks in my sermon. So I know, you know, when I can breathe, when I can let a point rest, when I need, and I write the word pause in my sermons all the time, because I'm like so excited to tell you, but then I move past a brilliant point, at least I think it's brilliant. And (laughs) the congregation hasn't had time to digest what I just said, right? So I write pauses in there. And then I have that and I carry around it's a, it's about an eight inch by six inch small leather binder and I have a word document where I copy and paste that whole manuscript into little boxes. I print it out, I use a paper cutter and I get the pages down really small and then I three hole punch them and put them in my leather binder. And so I have my full manuscript in my hand on stage at all times and I flip through it. But like I mentioned earlier a few minutes ago, I try to by the time I walk up on Sunday, I've got 80% of it memorized and mm-hmm. I just have that for reference. So are you are you behind a pulpit when you do this or is this something that you're walking around or does it change? In my modern service, uh, no pulpit, just on the stage, me and my little booklet. And then I have a, a lovely, it's called a Trinity table. It's a wooden table that a former church member uh, made me as a goodbye gift. And so I put that on stage. So I look 
hip and cool with my coffee cup and whatever up there. And usually a lot of times I like to use a prop, you know, just to put something up there to draw attention. Like, what is that? What is he going to talk about? What does that have to do with Jesus? Um, And then at the sanctuary, I would say 75% of the time I'd take my booklet out in the middle and just preach from the center of the sanctuary. Um, But on significant days, think um, All Saints Day, think Good Friday, um, those more solemn um, liturgical days, I will preach from the pulpit. Just kind of a matter of respect, I would say. This is honoring, I feel like I'm stepping into some other, somebody else's shoes on those days. This is not just, here's my idea of a sermon, Mm -hmm. you know, this is like, I'm honoring the tradition when I step into the pulpit. And my church loves that, which yeah. is cool. So, okay, okay, I'm I'm fascinated with this idea of prop. Um, tell me, give me an example. Tell me an example of when you use a prop really well, and what what were you preaching on? What was it? What was that like? What, why did you bring a prop? And uh, mm-hmm. the intentionality behind it, I guess. I'll give you two that were similar but different. Um, at my current church. Um, I was doing, Jesus tells the disciples, you know, I'm going to make you fishers for people, right? And so I opened up the sermon with my hook. And as people walked in that day, <laughs> I, I had I, like... I see what you did there. Yeah, you see that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I put like four fishing poles on stage. I brought, I lined my tackle boxes around it. Um, I had life jackets on stage. So as soon as people walked into the worship space and during the worship set, there was just all this fishing paraphernalia sitting there, mm-hmm. right? And so my hope is the whole worship service leading up to the sermon, they're thinking about like, what? I I can't wait to hear the sermon. So by the time I get up, they're like, I'm ready to check in. I'm ready to engage with whatever's going to happen because I'm excited, right? So that's one. Or I did another one. Um, You remember I did a a little sprint triathlon a couple of years ago, and it was a New New Year's resolution type sermon, right? And I talked about we need short-term and long-term goals. And so I brought my triathlon bike on stage and had my running shoes situated all across the chancel. And Mm -hmm. I put on goggles at the beginning of the sermon and preached my first opening story with goggles on, right? Because we need the right equipment to do the job. To be a follower of Christ, you need the right equipment and the right coaches and whatever. And people just ate it up. And whenever I see folks from the old church, they're like, I still remember the one time (laughs) you did that, right? People remember stories. They remember the drama. They remember the excitement, not the profound theological point you made is my yeah. most of the time oh uh, yeah because i mean if, if i were to walk into a sanctuary and it looked like i was um in rei getting fishing equipment i mean mm-hmm. like i'm wh- where where are we going what is what is rob going to do with this uh and then i'm sure as the service goes on you might hear uh, a song about becoming fishers of men or something i don't know a hymn or a contemporary song or you might have the pastoral prayer might might say mention something about throw your throw your nets on the other side of the boat or something, so they can 100%. kind of pick up on it. But that tension is already built in, so you don't even need that introduction hook. Like you don't have to say any words; it's already there. Yes, already precisely, there. Precisely, precisely. And I am a I'm a drummer, and so I was a drummer for praise bands long before I was a preacher, or worship leader in another way. And I used to be one of those guys that said, "I don't care what the lyrics say; I just want it to be energizing and upbeat. I want to make it feel something." Um, but I've changed my heart on that over the years, and picking song lyrics for traditional or modern 
that go along with the theme of the day is vitally important because I love the quote that hymns or music is just condensed doctrine. And I want to reinforce my theme over and over again. So yes, absolutely. I I custom write call to worships each week. You know, they're short. It only takes five minutes, Mm -hmm. like put the effort in, you know, and I write pastoral prayers most weeks to make sure they connect with the theme. Cause I remember my children's director at my last church was in elementary education for 45 years. And she said, you have to tell some elementary kids, you know, at least five to seven times before they're going to remember what you said. And she said, in my experience as adults are no different. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm a believer. If you start with the call to worship, you do it in a prayer, you do it in a hymn, you have an anthem about it or a special song. And then you finally get up in the sermon. They're like, I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Like, yes, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I want to, I want to, can you, do you know of a time, when was a time when a sermon was hard to preach for you? What would be a sermon that you preached that was like, ah, this was a really, really tough one? So two answers come to mind. I think I'll speak broadly for folks who don't get to decide when they preach or what they preach on, because mm-hmm. I walked that for years. I mean, literally until July 1 of 2021, I walked that line mm-hmm. where every once in a blue moon, I got to pick what I wanted to preach. But otherwise I was like, uh, the seniors on vacation or it's just intern Sunday or it's the low attendance one. And yeah, we're in this series. So preach on this part or whatever. I don't want to preach on. Yeah, you do. I mean, so I've preached sermons on like atonement and bits of the Lord's prayer that like, how do you write a sermon on that part? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I think those are hard because I wasn't passionate about them getting up to preach them. I just had to pull on the memory bank, find some unique article or something in a commentary and then make it work and make it sound like I was excited. So I think those have been hard for me because I feel like I'm not being authentic in my preaching when I do that. And authenticity is like my number one goal as being a minister in the world we live in. But I would say a particular sermon that was challenging for me was the first time I really got up and preached on what your modern United Methodist Protestant person might not expect to hear, which was on human trafficking. And I did that six months into my first appointment. And you know me and others know that, you know, human trafficking is Jessica, my wife and I is like, great passion is advocating and talking to people about what human trafficking is and how it's right in front of our faces. And, you know, I don't need to go on that soapbox right now, but I had to get up and preach on that. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea if the congregation would accept it, would be so mad, would I'd get angry emails like that's political, that doesn't need to be in the church, or where do you read about human trafficking and scripture? And then I have to have that whole conversation or, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it was so such a holy moment because from that day on, I feel like I earned the respect of so many who heard that because Mm -hmm. I was willing to be creative as a preacher. I was willing to take a risk, but I did it because I truly believed it was right. And I think the people responded to that and my integrity and my authenticity, and they could hear my passion and my conviction when I preached about it. I'm sure there were plenty of people who felt the opposite um, but I only remember the others for yeah. some reason. So I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I hope that is what you were looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm curious about authenticity when you preach. I mean, you said, is, do you think that's like the number one thing that you 
articulate or try to show people who you are fully and when you're preaching? No, because I think the teacher side of me gets in the way okay. sometimes. Um, I so desperately want you to know the history and the context and the why underneath the surface of what you think this text means. Um, I think the the professor in me kind of gets in the way sometimes of, I want to teach you all these cool things so you can understand the theology that you know is prescribed because of this. But I think the authenticity comes out in my ability to be a storyteller. Um, And that's something I need to be better at. That's a personal goal of mine is to be a little less professor and a little more pastoral in my sermons. Can I do a little bit more research or a little more planning in advance to find a more moving illustration or metaphor than just providing you with factual data that you can like write on a post-it note and take with you. You know, what yeah. memory of the text am I sending you home with as opposed to information am I sending you home with? Yeah. So, so if we go back to Adam Hamilton's head, heart, hands, you, you sometimes lean more towards the head and it's now trying to balance out how do I move more towards the heart? Yes. And I, I definitely... Uh, self-proclaimed practical preacher. I want to give you a challenge every week when you walk out the door. I want to give you an action step if I'm going to ask you to do something out of your comfort zone. And whether that's sign up for this class or come to this service project or volunteer at this thing, I like to have that on those type of sermons. So I've spent a lot of time in head and a lot of time in hands, but I feel like the best preachers, and maybe I'd like to hear your thought on this, the best preachers are the ones that spend the most time on the heart. And I feel like I I neglect the heart the most. I want to I want to get you being a Christian. I want you to be actiony Christians, right? Yeah, Out yeah. doing things, and I want you to know about Jesus and know about the United Methodist Church and why we do things the way we do things. But very rarely am I successful at telling you why we need to do those things and really pull on your heartstrings and convince you from the inside out of why this is important. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah. I I think it's it's really easy because it takes a lot more emotional bandwidth to share heart versus head. Like it's really easy. I can read this book or this commentary or I can read this thing from textweek.com and share, oh, I learned that Galilee, this happened in Galilee or the way in which fig trees grow or whatever. Like, yeah, it's interesting and it's important. But if you don't move, it's harder to move to the heart because you have to t- touch your own heart. It has to be something that hits your own story. For it to be, like you said, authentic. Um, and I, I preach on All Saints Sunday, and I really pride myself on doing kind of the the detail work, the analysis, finding an interesting piece of passage, scripture, and flip it upside down. So, cloud of witnesses, um, the term cloud. I, I found some interesting stuff about the term of cloud. Um, and I, but the sermon itself didn't touch on that really. I shared my own story of my two great grandparents that were were the cloud of witnesses for me. And I shared three church members, one from Nightdale, North Carolina, and two from here who have died. And, and I, I thought the sermon was like, oh, this is, it was really meaningful for me in the moment, but I thought I was sharing too much. Um, cool. But then people come up to me afterwards and say, well, this was one of the most powerful sermons we've heard. Um, because in the sanctuary, we had all, those, all the people that have died, their pictures hanging up, and it, they were hung up on, on strings um, so people could see them. And you're actually being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Mm. Um, and then we did communion in the center of the traditional sanctuary and had everybody rise and face towards the center and made a makeshift table. 
and I'm on one side and our other pastor, Pastor Brent's on the other side, and we're facing each other. And you can see the cloud of witnesses that were there and the cloud of witnesses that were surrounding them as concentric circles. And, uh, and it was, it was one of the most moving experiences I've preached in a while. And it had nothing to do with the Greek word of telos or anything like that. <laughs> it was, it was, it, it was the most memorable, it's one of these memorable things. And it's, again, like you said, it's that touching on the heart that people will remember. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I agree. I, I agree with you. I think that's just a big part of moving from head to heart. Um, and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of awareness for yourself, how you're feeling when you're preaching it. Um, and how much are you willing, how much can you share and how much are you willing to be vulnerable? Not bleeding on people, but being vulnerable with your own story. And I hope, my hope is, you know, a year into this appointment when I feel like I've earned more than surface level, like, oh yeah, we like this guy. Like, yeah, we'll invite our friends. He's exciting. He's engaging. I hope a year into it, my congregation will trust me. And this might sound terrible to say, but I'll also trust my congregation enough to want to open myself up for what could potentially be harm or pain. Um, And I think that maybe I have been doing a little bit of that right out of the gate, not even knowingly doing so, but just like, well, I need to establish that boundary or put that in place or let them know who I think I should be to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, that's, that's going to fester. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that in my preaching yet. That's really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, what is it? Brene Brown says vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Um, For so sure. the only way you can get to know somebody is sharing. And, and sometimes we think about sermon as a monologue, but I, I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm preaching, it's a, it's a dialogue. You can feel the congregation. You can, we, I'm leading everybody in an experience of this passage, this, this story, this thing. And, uh, you can feel the energy. Uh, so it's not just a, it's not just a monologue. It's, it's a conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to explore what conversational preaching would look like. I have no experience at it, nor have I really seen it done well, but I've always been intrigued by that notion of like legitimate, you know, engagement on a on a traditional Sunday morning service. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh man, we've we covered a lot of ground. Um, yeah. Are there any any final thoughts uh, you want to share with preachers who are listening? Things we we didn't get a chance to talk about because I, I know we could talk for another hour for this. Yeah, we probably could. I, I just want to echo, I guess, my 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 benediction in, my, in our time together. <laughs> Go um, forth in grace and peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Know, um, I would, the best advice that my my mentor just continued to give me was just be yourself and let that be. And I would always just be like, well, no, like that can't possibly be good enough. Like I need to mimic and, and um, impersonate this person or that person because they're the good preacher. Um, but I just, I always hear his words in the back of my head when I stand up to preach, just be yourself, just be yourself. This is who God created you to be. And God is the one who has brought you to this place. And it will be God who brings you through it. Good, bad, ugly, mediocre, whatever it is. Do be yourself and do your best to honor God in the process. And I think those are kind of my guiding principles, not only for preaching, but for all of ministry. And that's not an excuse when I mess up. I just say, well, that's the way God made me. You know, like that's, that's not a thing, but, (laughs) (laughs) but just the notion that 
just be yourself, be authentic, and God will speak through you to someone in a powerful way. Gosh, yeah. I mean, I've, we haven't been doing, I haven't done too many of these preacher lab interviews and conversations, but that's the number one thing that everybody has shared with with uh, with me is to be who you are, uh, and God made you to be you. Uh, I think Dave said that uh, mm-hmm. last last Sunday or last uh, last week. Well, to we be, all spent a little bit of time together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Brian might have picked that up from him. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's it's so true though. It's it's so easy to want to want to tell stories like somebody or teach like Adam Hamilton or or have this emotion intelligent genius like Rob Bell or something. I mean, mm-hmm. you you can you can pick up people that you really you really love the way in which they speak, but you have to you have to be you too. You can't be anybody else. Um mm-hmm. and it's it it's a hard thing, but when you're actually truly you, it's the gift that you're giving to your congregation. Um, yeah. And there's no, there's no, you're not as as long as you do the best that you possibly can, there's no bad. God made you good. Um, and you're mm-hmm. gonna Spirit will walk in the midst of all of that um, because God made you. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah. All right. Well, I have one more question. um, And I ask this question to everybody, but what is one book in the last year that you've read that's um, shaped you, molded you, transformed you? What's one meaningful book that you've read? Oh my gosh. I would say... I can, I'll post it in the comments because I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it was, you know, those, I'm not, this might shock you. It's not, it ain't a preacher book. It ain't a leadership book. It's uh, the Robert Langdon, the guy from like Angels and Demons and the yeah. Da Vinci Code. It's like the new book in that series. <laughs> I read it. So uh, no way. Like, like, you know, late, it was just, we were up at the lake for a few days catching a break and it was like the intricacy of the details and the illustrations describing the, all that was going on, you know, it involves all the different layers of government and everybody's fighting everybody and all the details. And I was like, what brilliant storytelling. Like I felt like I was there and I thought, man, that should be the goal for my preaching to be a brilliant storyteller each week. And so how can I, you know, go above and beyond in the details, like you mentioned earlier, yeah. to really connect people to what I'm trying to say or take them that to that place in their mind. I can't remember. It wasn't Inferno. Was it called Origin? Origin, Angels and Demons. It's a Dan Brown book. It's a Dan Brown book, yes. <laughs> a wild Symphony. Um, Origin, The Lost Symbol. Origin's probably it, or the Lost Symbol. It's one of those or two. Or Digital Fortress. Wait, he he's written that one too. Oh, it might have been Digital Fortress. I don't know. Will. Is it? Is, so I'm looking at it now. Is it a blue cover with eyeballs that are in between the word Dan Brown and below it Digital Fortress? I think it was Digital Fortress. Okay, 1998. If you want to know, yeah, wasn't a new book. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it was off my father's bookshelf that has three layers of dust. So. <laughs> Okay. So you would recommend Dan Brown Digital Fortress for just yes. just the art of storytelling. Yeah. The yeah. The, the details of a yeah. novel writer compared to a 20 minute a week sermon preacher and e-note writer, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, let's well, see if you ever get another Dan Brown suggestion. <laughs> I, you know, I might I, maybe that'll be the next question I ask people. What's your favorite Dan Brown book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Rob. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, thank you uh, for being here and sharing your heart and your passion and and some of these really good things like Hook Book Took Look. Um, just it's been really, really insightful. 
Sure. Yeah. I hope I can. I think we should schedule another one for a year from now and we'll see how my Ooh, answer That's a good idea. A year from today, going into Advent again, and let's see how God has changed us in the last year. I think oh. that'd be pretty cool. Okay. we're gonna, I'm putting that in my notes now, or maybe we'll schedule it already a year in advance. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, you take so care much, and uh, we'll talk soon. Very good. Bye-bye.